Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. I don't think I'm very good at business, and I don't think I'm very good at art. And so I take the best I have of both of them and I put them together. And then it's kind of like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, when people say you're an entrepreneur or whatever it is, and I don't, I'm an entrepreneur in the sense that I do start things. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. His name is synonymous with the pub scene in the Twin Cities. Of course, I'm talking about Kieran Foliard, the Kieran of Kieran's Irish Pub, and a portfolio of bars and restaurants that followed, including the local and the Liffey. He grew up in rural Ireland. He liked sports and drama. He describes himself as a daydreamer, not an entrepreneur. But from the time he was 12, Kieran worked. He sold carrots, he worked construction, he worked retail, he worked on a farm in Saudi Arabia. Eventually, travels in the U.S. brought him to Minnesota and a job at a search firm where he helped startups find employees until one day he realized he needed to flip the script and start something of his own. In 2011, he exited the pub business to start Two Gingers Whiskey, which he eventually sold to liquor giant Beam Suntory. Then, in 2013, he established the Food Building in Northeast Minneapolis, an incubator of sorts for artisan food brands that aims to get back to the basics of a sustainable food ecosystem, connecting farmers, makers, purveyors, and eaters right here in Minnesota. We'll talk about how it's going, what keeps Kieran from retiring, and his latest endeavor, a new brand of Irish whiskey called Redlocks. I'm not sure if I'm really allowed to reveal this on the record, but we have already taken a shot of whiskey. I guess that's par for the course when you're with <laughs> Kieran Foliard. Thank you for being here. Do you start every interview that way? It's always better I, I with try. a shot of whiskey, yeah, right? <laughs> well, I have, I have a line that I use, um, you know, drinking coffee, you're awake, but no good ideas. A little drop of whiskey, red locks in particular, Things the creativity goes through the roof. <laughs> there you go. Well, speaking of red locks, um, a lot of people started drinking more during the <laughs> pandemic. You, of course, decided to develop a new drink. How did was that timing just a coincidence, or I mean, was there any part of you that thought maybe a pandemic is not the best time to launch a new product? <laughs> It was a social service I was providing. I see. <laughs> well, thank you, sir, for your service. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I, the pandemic didn't really uh, play any role in um, uh, creating and launching uh, Redlocks. Uh, it gave some thought about the timing of it and should we roll back a bit but um, before launching. But, you know, on reflection, um, you know, I think the, it was the right decision um, to go ahead with it because, uh, you know, the market is different out there at the moment. You know, the on-premise, the bars and restaurants obviously have suffered tremendously, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the off-premise, the liquor stores have done um, very, very well. And so typically, if you're launching a brand in the uh, alcohol category, um, they say, you build the brand on-premise, mm. and then that drives sales to the off-premise. And, you know, typically you'll be doing 25, 30% of your business will be in the bars, restaurants, and, you know, the, the remainder, 75, maybe percent, 80% will be in the off-premise because obviously people are buying it by the bottle versus sure. a drink at a time. 
Uh, so did so you have to flip that model? A little bit of flipping on that model, uh, yes, to, to really focus more uh, probably on the off-premise. And, uh, you know, but we're very hopeful. I mean, here we are in, uh, in January, and I think just this week here, there have been some positive signs that, uh, you know, restrictions may be uh, lifted here over the next month, next three, four weeks. And that would be very positive. And then I think people, there'll be a lot of pent-up demand, uh, not, not for alcohol, but for everything, activities sure. and, uh, out and about out. for yeah. the spring and summer. And uh, I, think, um, I think that'll be good for everybody, you know, both mental health and, uh, and physical health as well, probably. You're already pleasing customers at Manny's, is that right? Oh, Red we Lux? are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Red Lux is their, uh, Red Lux is the old-fashioned at Manny's, so... We're very thankful to them uh, and appreciate the great support, as we do for obviously for all of our customers out there. But it's really, it's great. We love, you know, to to be in. Uh, it's much like that, but I also love being in the in the obviously the Irish pubs and uh, but also in the in the in the great old dive bars in uh, in town, the Dusties, Palmers, Grumpies, all of those great places. Sure, sure. So at this point in your career, I mean, you, you've done this before, you've launched products, you've run pubs, you've done so many different things. Um, what inspires you with each new project? What, take us through what, what was going on in your head that said, I need to launch a whiskey? Well, first of all, Ali, I would say uh, I wouldn't have called it really a career. <laughs> no? <laughs> Uh, it begins with a C, all, all right, <laughs> careering, <laughs> careering down the road, uh-huh. <laughs> the journey, <laughs> so it is side to side, uh, sometimes staying on the road and sometimes, unfortunately, ending up in the field. Um, you know, I think I love, uh, I love digging into things. I love... Um, you know, thinking about ideas and, you know, the mental game of saying, God, what would it be like now to, to bring this to life? Um, you know, what do you think it would take to do it? And, you know, you start to create, or I start to create in my head, a picture of what it might look like. I'm not talking now about visioning and so forth, just a general picture of what, picture of what it would feel like to do that and what it would take to do it. Uh, uh, the unfortunate thing for me is that uh, I would say, most of that is uh, is uh, with tinted uh, glasses, <laughs> rose tinted glasses. Really, even yeah. now, even after oh, even so now. many successes and failures. Yeah, it's torturous. <laughs> so it is. Yeah, everything looks really. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> and then uh, then you get into it and you find out. Oh my God. What is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? And, so is uh, it kind of like having children? You sort of block out the bad parts <laughs> and then uh, go right back in again with the next big idea. Yeah, I would say, yes, that is, the, that is excellent. Yeah, I, uh, I'm picturing that now in my head right now, and I'm thinking... Pretty much that's how I got the four kids as well. <laughs> <laughs> Add in a little bit of whiskey. Right? <laughs> a little bit of whiskey. <laughs> or a uh, lot. Um, so, so take us through this. I mean, we, we would be here for We'd have to do a whole season if we were going to go through every single one of your business ventures. I want to dive back into a few of the earlier ones. But, but since Red Locks is, is so new and the thing you've been working on, take us through what it was. What was the initial idea? Why did the world need another whiskey? Well, a lot of it had to do with the thinking was the relationships that really I had built up over the years. The relationship that I had with Noel Sweeney in Ireland. Noel happens to come from County Mayo, where I'm from. Uh, He's a couple of years younger than I am. And uh, so we didn't know each other growing up, but I got to know him through the whiskey business. He's Ireland's premier um, distiller and Mm -hmm. blender. Uh, He's been in the business for about 30 years. Uh, He is one of two Irish people in the... uh, the Whiskey Magazine uh, Worldwide Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is chairman of the technical file for all Irish whiskey. Uh, he is uh, very passionate and obviously has an extraordinary expertise. Uh, and so to partner with somebody like that, uh, not alone do you have the friendship, mm-hmm. uh, but you also you continue to learn. It's not boring, you know, so I learn new things. I learned I was, I'm on a call with him every Thursday morning, uh, a schedule call every Thursday morning, and I was on it this morning, and uh, it was fantastic, some of the things we talked about as well. So great insights there. And then all of the relationships that I've developed over the last 30 years with um, 
the bars and restaurant ownerships, management, uh, the people in the off-premise side of, of the world, and then the different other partnerships. And then you get to create something and you get to put a team together and, you know, you get to to make decisions about, you know, what the strategy should be like, and then you get to tweak it. And so it's, uh, it's a good, um, it keeps you mentally, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, I don't really play golf, and <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be on a beach anywhere, that wouldn't be who I am. And, and so it's, you know, you get to do something that you're excited about and you're passionate about. Describe this particular. So here, here's I'm, I'm going to reveal my just total lack of expertise. My colleague uh, Stephanie March at the at Minneapolis St. <laughs> Paul Magazine will cringe, but she generally orders drinks for me when we go out, and she's taught me to drink whiskey a little bit. And I have to say, I I have sort of developed a, a taste for it. I don't know. Blame it on COVID. I'm not sure, but I do know it seems. From from my uneducated point of view, like whiskey has definitely become more popular. Its change has become more refined. I feel like more women are drinking it. Dare I say that? What what has what has changed? How has it evolved? And and how does that lead to to red to red locks? Red locks. Uh, well, Irish whiskey um, really is is the first whiskey that's out in the world uh, before Scotch and obviously before bourbon, etc. Um, and you know, there's a great appreciation and a great uh, love for uh, the the story of whiskey, um, the process of uh, uh, of distilling and blending. Uh, blending is and utilizing different types of barrels, whether it's sherry barrels, uh, Madeira uh, port barrels, etc. Uh, and then Irish after Prohibition, or before Prohibition, when we had separation from England, um, or at least most of the country had separation from England, uh, in the early 1920s, uh, we lost all of the, the Commonwealth uh, countries uh, that were buying it. We lost England, of course, uh, as a market. And then Prohibition came along, and we lost America, which was the biggest market for Irish whiskey, and still is now. So they, it ended up going from over 100 distilleries in Ireland down to, by 1984, there were only three distilleries left in Ireland. Hmm. And uh, when I launched Two Gingers Irish Whiskey 10 years ago, mm-hmm. it's now owned by Beam Centauri, um, the, there were still only three distilleries in Ireland. Hmm. 10 years on, there are 42 distilleries today, and there'll be over 50 by the end of next year. And so it's, an, it's the renaissance of Irish whiskey. And so uh, that is telling us other things because um, what you look at across the board, bourbon has really been on fire for the last number of years, quite a few years. You know, tequila's on fire at the moment and mezcal is coming up as well. Um, but Irish is the second fastest growing spirit category uh, in the world. A lot of it has to do with... Um, more premiumization of of liquor in general. People mm-hmm. are going for more quality and uh, than the the quantity. And as a result of that, they're bringing more people also into the free. People are just what you talked about. I'm trying it, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm kind of liking it. And <laughs> I don't and go so, out anymore, yeah. so you know, it's my new friend. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you know, there's a confluence of events that have led to it, and uh, of course, uh, once that starts, the momentum starts to come. You get a lot more people pouring into the the business uh, from a, uh, launching brands, and as a result of that, they're reaching new people, and then you'll get a little bit of the snowball effect with it. And I think, you know, the story certainly with whiskey as well, it's just a great story. I mean, it's aged in these bourbon barrels, ex-bourbon barrels, and in sherry and port and Madeira. And you think about it sitting there and the science side of it, but the very romantic side of it, I would say, for, for a lot of people. Uh, the increase in the number of, uh, of women drinking it is fantastic. It's unbelievable. What, yeah. it, it, what is that about? I mean, is that about marketing? Is that about the actual flavor profile? Well, I would say with Irish um, in particular, it, it tends to be a very uh, mellow, smooth uh, drink. Uh, you will get that that will appeal to a broader demographic of people that will, that will try it uh, for sure. And then people you know, there is more experimentation. There is more um, uh, awareness, social media, mm-hmm, <laughs> etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also there's a lot more sophistication in terms of 
even the uh, the brands themselves and how they communicate uh, with people. And it has led to, there's a lot more about transparency. There's a lot more about the story itself. And so when you get into the stories and the transparency side of it, I think people, uh, it appeals to something emotionally inside of people and they feel more of a connection to it. And, uh, you know, in particular, the Irish, I think, you know, we're pretty good at that. I mean, we've had a lot of great writers, yeah. <laughs> extraordinary fertile ground for, for poets and for authors and, you know, musicians and so forth. And that, again, ties very much into the story side of it. Hmm. Do what part of, of the, this whole adventure of, of dreaming up a product, launching it, bringing it to market, what part do you like the, the best and the least? I would say the the best is really anything that has to do with people and the creative process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't like the regulatory stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wouldn't be much good now on the details, digging into the weeds on stuff. Uh, but I do like the, uh, yeah, the, the, the team building, the relationship building, the partnership relationships out in the marketplace. Um, you know, I really like the... Um, uh, what do I say, the, the expansion of the story ideas as well, like the things that you learn when you read something about maybe a new distillery or you read something in history about a person that was involved in the, in the, in the, in the business. It's, it's like reading a novel. Sure, <laughs> sure. So this point that you're at right now, Red Locks is not yet available outside of Minnesota, right? No, nope. in Minnesota. That, that becomes a big hurdle? No, it's more to do with, well, it is a big hurdle for sure because you need greater resources in terms of people, money, time, all of those things. Um, And your own focus is distracted from um, or diluted in terms of your core market, which is here in Minnesota. Uh, But it's more about really trying to learn, not so much about the liquid itself because the liquid in in the case of Red Lux, it's a more sophisticated um, uh, whiskey for sure, more complex whiskey than uh, two gingers, and I would say a lot of the blended Irish whiskies that are out there in the uh, in you know distilled three times, aged three years category, or aged four years to six years. Um, it's got fifteen percent from virgin oak, which is unusual for Irish, uh, and then there's got a sherry cask and a rye cask finish in there as well as part of the blend. And so you know, uh, I do like to say there's no bad Irish whiskies because the technical file uh, that I refer to with Noel being the chairman of the, of the committee for all Irish whiskies is very tightly controlled. And uh, certainly from a national standpoint, they recognize the importance of the uh, whiskey industry to uh, the Irish economy, not alone just from exports. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go from three distilleries to over 40 and over 50 in the next uh, 18 months. Right. Uh, that's a lot of exports. Uh, and it's around the world, exports, opening up new markets. Places like Nigeria is hmm. doing really well in Irish whiskey is growing in it. Uh, but then it's about the tourism into the country, you know, when we're hopefully past COVID, whatever that will look like or time-wise. Um, but it's the, so now you've got over 40 distilleries that can be on a tour, you know, so it'll be like the bourbon trail in, in Kentucky. Right. And so from that standpoint, yeah, very, very important. So there's no, that would say just different styles and different um, complexities, etc. And so that's what, uh, you know, looking at with, uh, with Redlocks, it's an opportunity, not so much about the liquid, but about the brand itself and what does the brand stand for. Sure. And what I've really wanted, the brand we have, it's Red Locks Irish Whiskey, hey, giving it a shot. So to give it a shot, obviously it's a play on words, <laughs> but, uh, but it's really, uh, ultimately, it's about the idea of building a brand that encourages and supports people acting on their ideas. One of the things that I have found, we uh, may be more aware of through the uh, pandemic, is the, a lot of negativity out there. Uh, a lot of people just, I mean, putting people down, um, which is something that really kind of gets to me um, mm-hmm. because, you know, we're all here on a journey in life, right? It's, right? it's a short journey, right? Why wouldn't you want to encourage and support people and, and, and give them a good clap on the back and say, go for it or do it? 
it doesn't matter what it is. It could be learning to play the guitar. It could sure. be I'm going to climb a mountain, you know, jump on a lake. I, I start a non-profit, uh, write a novel. Any, it could be anything. And so how do you build a brand that talks about that or, 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 or demonstrates that in the things that, uh, how you focus in terms of the, the marketing of the brand and the building of it and the activities that you have around it. So success to me with it would be if it, um, if it achieved that in some small way, that it would be somehow uh, a motivator to uh, encourage people to act on their ideas. I think your next step needs to be Washington, D.C., yeah, yeah, for sure. They need a lot of red locks. A lot of red locks. <laughs> a lot of red locks. How big does Kieran see red locks growing, and how will he get there? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best and Flanagan, with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best and Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. So what does giving it a shot look like for Kieran as he scales his new brand, Redlocks, and continues building his innovative food-building business in Minneapolis? Let's listen. Um, do you imagine, and maybe this is getting too far down the road, but since you've done it before, do you imagine selling this to another big brand? Is that always the, the goal in the back of your head? I, you know, some entrepreneurs love the, the, begin, the start part. You know, others love to to grow and and see the brand through. Where where do you think you fall on that continuum? Well, you know, I think there's always um, uh, you know going to be a question mark, particularly over a brand that you're looking to expand uh, nationally or even internationally. What resources are required to do that effectively? And the three tier system in this country. Uh, where the maker, the distributor, and the retailer of a liquor brand, you can't be doing two of the three. And um, so it's, it's, it's complex in that regard that you have to um, you know, rely upon a lot of other um, uh, partnerships and relationships with distributors. And if you are small like we are, um, that's very, very difficult. It's even difficult for the big guys <laughs> to do it mm-hmm. uh, because the distributor carries so many SKUs. You know, they could have literally, they could have thousands. Sure. So how do you get them to focus on yours and so forth? So, you know, we have to do that. We've got a couple of um, uh, young ambassadors here from Ireland. I've got um, Kathy, who's from Dublin and uh, actually grew up in the bar business. Her family have pubs in Dublin. And then uh, Jerry, who's from uh, Donegal, he grew up in the business. His family have a hotel in Donegal. And then we've got Alex who's on our uh, marketing team and she's from, uh, from Derry. Mm. Uh, and so they're here and they had worked with Way people. to represent. Uh, yes. My goodness. And uh, that really helps because they're super focused on uh, building the brand out in the marketplace here. And that, that, that's a big help uh, mm-hmm. for sure. But, you know, so you'd never say never. I think the thing that I would never say never to, uh, that I would say never, <laughs> Uh, to would be if um, if the core piece of the brand and what it stands for uh, was somehow, if I didn't feel confident that that would be continued and that I could personally and maybe some of the team, all of the team, uh, would continue to be involved to help to shepherd that through. Mm. What changed for you um, after you sold two gingers? Uh, well, I had some money. <laughs> That's a that's a big one, uh, and I didn't have travel anymore across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every time I have uh, have started something and built it and sold it, the money all and I mean all mm-hmm. goes into the next venture. So money from the pubs went into um, uh, went into uh, two gingers. Yeah, money from two gingers went into food building. Uh huh. And that completely depleted. I don't even have a 401k. What? I don't have a retirement fund. I don't have any of that. No I fancy honestly don't. cars. No, no fancy, fancy cars. No fancy trips. Nothing. 
Seriously. Why? Why, not, Why not take a moment to <laughs> to enjoy what you've built and created? Yeah. You, was your my wife talking to you? <laughs> uh, you know, I you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's challenging. Uh, I mean. I should have gone fishing about eight years ago and things would be much better. Mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't have a fishing rod. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I probably just haven't, haven't figured out what the hell I would do um, somehow. Sure. Uh, and usually I'll start something just before I've actually finished what I was working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but food building is more... That's something that will really never be sold because uh, from an economic standpoint, it, it couldn't be scaled to the level uh, that somebody, a bigger company, could um, would, would buy it, uh, that they would see the opportunity in it. It's different. We're really with food building, you know, farmed near, made here. So we have LMR cheese, we have Bakersfield flour and bread, we have stone mill grain, organic grain from here, farms in Minnesota, red table meats, hogs, small farms, barley fed. Uh, Alamar cheese, milk from grass-fed cows year-round. Our newest partnership now is Tres Leche, the beverage fermentation, which is utilizing the whey from the milk, the grain, uh, the bone marrow from uh, from Red Table and, mm-hmm. and meat scraps and creating these extraordinary fermented botanicals. Really uh, fascinating. Uh, beverages. Yeah. yeah. And so that's something that's maybe more of a passion about how do you change a system because you know, these brands and these businesses have been around, uh, the, the products and the processes have been around for thousands of years, so they're timeless. And it remained that way until industrialization uh, of the food system. And so even things like uh, the flour, stone milled, it makes an extraordinary difference to the flavor and the nutrient value mm-hmm. of the flour. And uh, so there's small things like that that are wins that you say, all right, you know, the farmers that we work with. I mean, we have a poster farmer, Luke Peterson, out in Dawson, Minnesota, uh, who has, you know, he's got regenerative certification. It's beyond <laughs> organic. I mean, he's, he's, it's extraordinary. I mean, it's inspiring, you know, yeah. when you talk to and you listen to these people and you see the thought and the work that they put into it. And not just hard work, smart work that mm-hmm. they're doing. Now, we have to pay uh, the farmers. We should pay them. We pay them two to three times uh, the commodity price because they cannot give us grass-fed year-round. They can't give us barley-fed mm. hogs. They can't give us the organic grain at commodity prices. So do you lose money on the food building? Uh, well, we did for quite a few years. Last year was the first year uh, after, what, seven years that we broke even with Red Table. Uh, Bakersfield made, after now six years, made a small profit last year. And so, you know, it, can, it continues, but um, they, and they do need to make a, they obviously need to make a profit, uh, so they do, but, you know, they also need to be uh, on mission as well to not cut corners. We do talk about being uncompromising about certain aspects of the business. And, uh, you know, when you do that, um, you know, you got to be prepared for the, for the long haul. So, yeah, it's been a lot more difficult than I really ever imagined it actually would be. But there's super talented people in there. Uh, we're coming together, I would say, uh, from a leadership standpoint with all the businesses at a better place right now, knock on wood. Uh, than we have been at any point in the last eight years. And, uh, you know, so I think to some degree we get to control our own destiny, hopefully. When you think about your initial vision for the food building, um, is, it, is it what you have today? And, and what has been the, the biggest learning uh, along the way? Did, did you go into it because you were at a point where you wanted to, to give back and to support other you know, other makers uh, along their journey? Or did you see, hey, there's a big opportunity here with the food scene is changing? Well, I definitely didn't. I wasn't naive enough to think that there was a big opportunity. Um, and I did not say, you know, oh, my God, we got to change this. There wasn't a big vision about changing uh, the food system. What there was was probably more of a belief in uh, in people and their passions. Like Mike Phillips, who's my partner in Red Table, 
Um, he was uh, is a chef, but was a chef. He had his own restaurant at one point, but then with the craftsmen. And he came working with us at the pubs, but the, but the goal was uh, that we would start a red table uh, out in the marketplace. Now, the building I found in Northeast, <laughs> uh, it was so cheap. It was <laughs> so cheap. It would be now, it was fantastic. It would be condos on it because literally all around us, condos have gone up in the yeah. last five years. It would be condos. And I'd definitely be gone fishing. <laughs> so, but no, it was cheap. And that's a problem because uh-huh. <laughs> anything that starts out cheap ends up being very expensive. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was no roof on. We had to put a new roof on. There was not, it was nothing. It was dilapidated. It had been vacant for years. Um, and so it was bigger than the space that was needed for Red Table. And so that's really where then it began to, all right, what makes sense in this environment? And that's what then led to the finding uh, other talented people and saying, all right, what are the key things that, you know, are fantastic and native here to, well, not native, native, but <laughs> modern native since the Europeans came uh, to here? You know, the grain, the milk, uh, the pigs, hogs, uh, and then the beverage fermentation, because fermentation is a theme that runs throughout all of the business. That's another link that ties it. Not alone just timeless, but then the links of that and craft then wraps it all together. So, yeah, so it developed. I've talked to so many food and drink um, entrepreneurs in this town who credit you or point to you or things they've learned from you or how you are inspiring to them. I, I think you know that, 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 that that's yeah. the role you play. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> what do you try to, to convey? What do you try to impart to all of these business people that you're working with at the food building in particular? Well, I would say just like what we talked about with, um, with Redlocks and what, it, what it, the core uh, of, the, of the brand is about is really how do you support and encourage people it may not be anything too profound, um, and in most cases it isn't anything too profound. But I think, you know, that bit of encouragement, a bit of support, a little bit of sharing all your own vulnerabilities and all of your own mistakes, I think, okay, well, shit, if that guy can do it, <laughs> really, I think I've got a good shot at it. <laughs> and I, I believe that, uh, honestly, you know, I don't... Uh, I've had a belief for uh, a long, long time now that never put anybody on a pedestal, uh, but make sure you start with yourself. Do you think that the, your industry, I mean, obviously you've chosen to, to spend a, a good chunk of your career, obviously the, the whole chapter here in Minnesota in food and drink. Is, it, is that a good place to break in to be an entrepreneur? Or are you just kind of setting yourself up for a, a life of misery and frustration? <laughs> I mean, the food industry seems to be changing so much. And, and you see all the big companies based here in Minnesota that are, you know, scrambling to try to innovate and, and do startup and, and do some of the things that, that you and, and all of your fellow entrepreneurs are doing. How do you see it all changing? Well, I think it is changing uh, to the degree that there are a lot of debates around the food system. Uh, There is a lot of, um, you know, debates, uh, not just because of climate change, um, but also because of, uh, you know, the nutrients, how do people eat better? How do you and one of the things I'd love to be able to do, but we haven't quite figured that out yet, is the democratization of what we do. Because, of course, this is the food that people ate for, as I said, thousands of years. And, um, you know, and they were just regular people just before ever terms like organic, et cetera, were out there. Uh, but it is expensive because we pay the farmers two to three times the commodity price. We have not, we're all talking, everybody's talking about inflation at the moment, and it's obviously a bit of a problem for the government, etc. Um, but it's not surprising for sure that there is inflation when you look at some of the other underlying um, uh, 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 cases with, you know, wage increases sure. and then the, the supply factors, chain yep. and all the other stuff. We have not had a request, I hope they're not listening in, for a price increase from any of our farmers. Hmm. Now what? because we were already paying them two to three times the commodity price for what they do, because that's what they need. 
uh, to continue to supply us the, the, the ingredients that we need. And so, but how do the economics of that work out? If you're paying m- more th- than others, how, how, do you, how do you remain viable unless your prices are off the charts high? <laughs> That's why we're only breaking even right now. <laughs> uh, so it is. But, uh, but I think it's important to, I mean, I know it's important uh, to stick with it, um, to stick with it and find ways to you know, identify, to communicate, identify and communicate with people that actually believe in the same things that we believe in. Now, of course, I also believe that, so we have the first two stone mills in the city of Minneapolis, stone milling uh, grain for a long, long time, (laughs) and almost a hundred years. And uh, if there were 12 stone mills in this town going around, I think there'd be more uh, availability of, um, of stone mill flour to a broader demographic. And as a result of that, people would eat better. Hmm. They literally would. I mean, even people that have mild um, uh, gluten tolerance, intolerance, um, we're finding we have a definite market in that area because mm-hmm. stone mill, because it leaves a much higher percentage of the brand, the German, the endosperm in the flour. Uh, than the traditional roller mills, or not traditional, <laughs> the modern roller mills. So, you know, I think, I think we're going to just have to keep asking questions and keep, uh, keep communicating with and listening for the feedback out in the marketplace and with other people that are in our world uh, across the country and even internationally and continue to put little pieces into the jigsaw puzzle and get a better picture uh, and uh, I kind of talk about, well, big ag and big, big food, big food companies are like the North Pole. And we're all of the small little guys like ourselves that have the practices we have are the South Pole. And can you create at least, because we can't feed the world, um, can you create a bit of a magnetic pull between the two so that, you know, the 90% of the population that lives close to the equator uh, can benefit from, from it? And mm-hmm. so I think it's just you know, keeping those two things tethered that we all learn from each other. So how, how, does, that, how does that ever happen? Does, is that going to take uh, the big food? Ch- what, what do they need to change t- to make that work? And, and how do these small guys find a way to be profitable and viable if they, if they don't have you kind of, you know, helping them along and not too worried about making a profit? Well, there, there is a segment of the population out there. I mean, you know, we get tremendous support from uh, the co-ops in mm-hmm. particular, uh, from our friends too, as um, some of the local guys like London Barleys and Kowalskis carry our bread. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the only big guys that carry our bread. Um, and then, uh, you know, the people, the independent um, uh, people like, you know, the Surdicks and the France 44s, uh, specialty stores, and then the restaurants like... Uh, uh, Peter Campbell from Red Wagon Pizza was in uh, this morning with us. Uh, he buys all of his flour from us. Mm. And uh, he was in experimenting with another product uh, uh, this morning, just uh, messing around in the kitchen and just experimenting. Mm-hmm. And so people like that. And then a lot of the restaurants that are out there and the uh, pastry chefs and that buy the flour and then other uh, restaurants, uh, you know, buy Red Table and Alamar as well. So you know, there's the support there and there's the growth, but a lot of it, I think, ultimately will be about what do we continue to learn mm. um, out there? Uh, because none of us have had, we've not, haven't done this before. <laughs> I've never done it. Mm-hmm. None of the guys, people that I work with really have done it before. And um, so this is, this is new. There isn't a model similar to this out there in the country that we've come across. You know, people say, oh, you're like a food hall. Well, we're not like a food hall. Food halls are great. Malcolm's Yard is fantastic over there. Right. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, the, the restaurants, really. I sure. I mean, we're food producers. <laughs> so explain a little bit, how, how does the model work? Do Are each of the, the producers their own businesses, and are they paying rent to be in the food building? Or do you have an actual stake in the businesses? Are you an incubator? How would you describe it? Well, it is a collective. So, uh, food building uh, owns the building. Mm-hmm. The individual businesses are LLCs, and then the operators in there have equity in those businesses. But food building also has um, 
in almost all the cases, um, has the majority control. I see. So, so you have a, a vested interest in seeing them, <laughs> seeing them succeed. A very invested. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, I'm there every day. <laughs> How much time do you spend, literally, mentoring or or working with these businesses on on figuring out how to grow the brand, how to make it work? Well, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's mentoring. I'd say it's just trying to tease it out. And uh, I've just hired a president slash CFO, uh, Greg Gadel, who started the beginning of the year. Uh, I've known Greg for many, many years and uh, uh, looking for him now to bring in more um, structures and, and systems from an operation standpoint. Uh, because uh, obviously upstairs, we'll call it, because our office is upstairs at the food building, <laughs> um, you know, does all the invoicing, payables, receivables, HR, all of that stuff is done up there. So we need greater systems. So Greg is hoping now he has a lot of experience going to bring that to bear on us, uh, each one of the individual businesses, and work with uh, the makers on, uh, you know, Everything from uh, costings to, uh, you know, from the financial standpoint, uh, better operating the business. And so we're looking for that to show some really positive results this year. If you had, you know, a, a young um, founder come to you looking for advice, it, it seems like there are sort of two, two sides to the equation. There's the there's the the person who's passionate and has the idea and is good in the kitchen and, and understands, you know, the the ingredients and, and how to make something. And then there's the whole business side of how do you turn that into a successful business? Do you find that, that many people can do both? You can. But, but do most people mm. kind of need a partner? I think partnerships um, help uh, in that, um, particularly, uh, you know, if it's not, you know, if it's something like the world that we're in, the food or beverage side of things, I think it does help to have partners that may have complementary um, skills and uh, relationships out there in the marketplace. And that's where, you know, culturally, obviously, then you've got to, you know, be on the same wavelength because um, uh, that can be something that can be very detrimental. I mean, and it's one of the, it's very difficult to create a culture, I have found, in a business um, because particularly in startups, uh, uh, well, I think in any business, it's hard to create the culture. So it is uh, because it's so easy to lose it. Mm-hmm. So easy. If you don't live, the, <laughs> if you don't walk the talk on it, uh, it becomes very apparent very quickly that, uh, okay, people start to doubt it and then people start to, you know, the, the old gossip stuff and back and forth and then it eats away at it. Uh, so that's something that we're working very hard on at the moment is the culture of uh, the business. Um, somebody, you know, myself, um, probably... One of the challenges I have uh, is uh, probably not communicating enough mm. uh, with people. Um, you know, I might make a decision about something and I just didn't. Um, you know, it's not that I'm the benevolent dictator or anything like that, but, uh, um, you know, because I'm not involved in the day-to-day operations where they're actually, you know, milling the flour and the grain and, uh, and, and dry curing the meats, butchering the pigs and so forth. Um, uh, and so it's more about, okay, how do we continue to serve all of the needs of the different um, uh, entities in the building? And, you know, how do we communicate better? And how do we, you know, show, uh, you know, have a lot of empathy for, because mm-hmm. they're all siloed to one degree. And then how do we come together? And uh, the uh, Marco Zappia and his uh, team that have come in now, we've partnered with on the Trileche. Uh, business, the beverage fermentation, they've brought a very youthful and dynamic element to the business because they are youthful and they are dynamic <laughs> and they're very talented and very bright guys. And so uh, that's been really interesting just the last couple of months and mm-hmm. it has shown some uh, some very good, um, um, I would say, um, in, in, well, a lot of new and good insights, but a lot of good um, momentum and hope for uh, maybe creating a tighter um, uh, culture in the place. Hmm. So, so is that actually inspiring you? What, what would you it say? Is. You, what do you know about building culture today? I feel like that's such a hot topic right now, especially as so many companies are working remotely. People aren't together in the way they mm. were 
culture is everything in yeah. in a company. How how do you do it? Well, I think you know one of the things we do recognize is we need to have greater clarity about um, uh, what our values are, and you know we we know what our missions are. Uh, we're very clear about that, but the values, what they are, and then where we will be uncompromising and to make sure that that's not to the detriment of the overall business. Um, and then the, uh, the culture is checking in with each other uh, and calling each other uh, out or encouraging and supporting uh, when it's to the positive, but really walking the talk on it, on mm -hmm. the culture. Uh, because again, uh, if you show uh, some chinks in your arm, armor as it relates to, uh, oh, I'm going to skirt around or cut a corner on this. We will be uncompromising in our relationships with the farmers, in the processes that we go through to produce the products um, that we produce. And can we have that same uncompromising approach in how we uh, support each other as well throughout the business? And that's where I think it takes the time and the communications, the empathy, the communications. Probably not my strong suit in terms of patience. I'm not patient. I'm not. And so I'm working on it. <laughs> drinking, all... drinking the whiskey helps. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it does. Um, do, you, do you ever think about, do you ever want to get back into the, the pub business? Is that, is that a chapter that's closed? Do you still long for, for that side of the action? I long for sitting in them. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I, I do. I love pubs. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Like, I mean, I go somewhere. Uh, I mean, it's so stupid, you know. <laughs> I will seek out an Irish pub. Uh -huh. I don't care where I go. I could go to, and I haven't done this for quite a while now, but if I go to a London or a Paris or go down to Austin, Texas, wherever it is, I'll find the Irish pub. And that gets me grounded because you'll talk to people and, uh, and it doesn't matter. You don't have to be Irish. I mean, you could be from We're South welcome. Korea or okay. Chile or wherever it is, and you go in there, they'll talk to you. <laughs> so yeah. they will. And uh, so I like that. So I feel for it. So, yeah, just sitting in the pub now would be grand for me. But, but owning one, oh, you God, don't no. need to do that again. No, no, no. Is, no. Is, the, is the creating of brands more satisfying? Is it just more lucrative? Is it, what's it like on this side? Uh, I, I wouldn't say lucrative necessarily, not with the approach probably that I take to it. Um, but it is, it's, it, I mean, it's creative in the sense that I think I'm somewhere like I'm stuck in the middle between being a business person and an artist. I, and I'm being really serious about this. I don't think I'm very good at business. And I don't think I'm very good at art. And so I take the best I have of both of them and I put them together. And then it's kind of like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, when people say you're an entrepreneur or whatever it is, and I don't, I'm an entrepreneur in the sense that I do start things. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, that's probably the essence or the, the foundation of it. You have to actually do something. <laughs> right. And so that's what leads into giving it a shot with Redlocks, whisk, Irish whiskey is that idea, the ripple effect, um, and that there is a ripple on uh, the bottle, on the, on the label, because it is that ripple effect. What is the ripple effect um, of you doing the thing that you're going to do? And I see the ripple effect for myself, both personally, my family, colleagues, people that I work with, friendships, the community. You know, it's not, you know, it's not a cure for COVID, so it's not, but... Well. but it, well, it might help, right. uh, but, but there is a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And so I do like to think about that, you know, you know, you learn to play the guitar. Yes, there's a ripple effect to that. You feel good about it. You know, you're mm -hmm. happy. You're just, you've got this hobby or whatever it is. And the people who listen to you, mm -hmm. once you figured it out, by the way. <laughs> so what separates uh, uh, the people who, who jump in and, and do the thing, who don't just have the idea, but, but see it through, make the whiskey, open the, the bar, build the building? What separates people who go for it from those who think about it, contemplate it, but never quite pull the trigger? 
I would say it probably has an awful lot to do with your ability to, um, you know, well, get the resources to do it and have a capacity for risk because there is risk involved and and clearly in in anything that you do, there's a risk um, when you take action. And uh, then I suppose, you know, work hard, but uh, try and work smart. And then uh, perseverance, I would say, is certainly up there as well. Could easily have quit on food building, um, you know, uh, as recently as probably 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not now. Yeah. Not now, I would say. Is there a failure that still kind of like rings in the back of your head that, you know, that you've learned from, that you've grown from, that you don't want to ever repeat? Uh, the only failure that, uh, that I can, I've had many, many failures, but the only ones that I, uh, that I regret are the, uh, uh, the actions that I didn't take. Hmm. And uh, I mean that sincerely. Like I, have, I have like three fool's cap pages. Maybe that's why. Why do they call them fool's caps? <laughs> I just thought about that there. Now, why do they call them? Three fool's cap pages of ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had all the things. And I still think now, and I've been putting this together over the years, some I've knocked off. Uh, and I look, I'm not going to live long enough to do uh, any of them, possibly. Um, hopefully not soon, though. Um, <laughs> and, I looked, and I still think that they're good ideas. Really? There, yeah. The ones that were on there that you tried and no, that didn't work? No, 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 no. They're just ones I've come oh, up with. Oh, I see. I see. You know? I see. Yeah. So do, is that kind of in your head? Or are you already thinking about the next thing? Ah, uh, no, no, I'm not. Not at the moment. You got your hands yeah. full. Uh, I have my head, my heart, my hands, <laughs> my entire being is full at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But it's on the pages. <laughs> it's on the pages. It's you know, there. we'll see. We'll see where that all kind of goes. Uh, maybe somebody will find it in fifty years, and uh, they'll look at it and they say, "My God, above that guy, Jesus, what an idiot!" <laughs> <laughs> he thought these were good ideas. <laughs> well, I sincerely doubt that, and they'll probably be drinking a, a glass of Red Locks when they say that. Oh, God so willing, they will. Yes. <laughs> Karen Villiard, thank you so much for chatting with us. Yeah. It's really been such a, a treat and, and such a testament to how much you love this, this city and state and everything that you do, all of, all of the work that you continue to put into these new ventures. Well, Ali, thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, not only the time being here, but uh, your support as well and um, you know the relationships. And yes, uh, I do think uh, this state is um, fantastic. Somebody asked me one time, they said... Uh, Oh, you know, you could have gone anywhere. Why don't you live in such a place and such a place? And I said, well, sure, if I wanted to live there, wouldn't I go there? I want to live here. This is the place I want to live in. It's a great, yeah, terrific. I love Minnesota. Well, there you go. Uh, we say, I say cheers. What do you say? Uh, Slauncha. 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 All right. Well, Slauncha to you. Slauncha. Let's go have another one. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thank you. What a story. What a character. For some more perspective, we're not just going back to the classroom. We're going to tap a good friend of Kieran's. That would be University of St. Thomas Associate Professor in the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, John McVeigh. Professor McVeigh, you and Kieran go way back. How far back do you go? Well, as a, 20 years ago, as a recent immigrant to the Twin Cities, I was one of the frustrated Irish people who could not get any Irish sport on my TV. And so there was a strange collection of us at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning would congregate in the local pub, uh-huh. the, named the local, run by Kieran, which had the only satellite that could show Irish sport. And that is where I met Kieran. In all his glory, both as uh, entrepreneur and as fellow Irish immigrant enjoying uh, Irish sport on the satellite TV. And we've been friends through all his journeys ever since. I love it. That for the, for the follow-up episode, we're going to have to get the two of you together, the two, the two <laughs> Minnesota Neither. Irishmen. Um, I know that, that's dangerous. I know that you have documented. I, I've read some of the the reports that you've done on his career, and you've followed along. What fascinates you? about Kieran's journey in serial entrepreneurship? Well, I mean, we can talk about some of the details later, 
But what, what, what strikes me from Kieran, what's so inspiring, and, and you're right when you interview him, there are so many people he has inspired. He's, he's uh, uh, ultra modest about that, um, is his whole trajectory. And sometimes I think we think of entrepreneurship uh, as a preparation for the good life, right? People want to be entrepreneurs to make a lot of money so mm-hmm. they can go and do the stuff that, and live the good life, do all the stuff. Right. And what I always hear from Kieran's story is when you ask him that question, he struggles because what he sees is entrepreneurship itself is life itself. It reminds me of an old quote from John Dewey who said, education shouldn't be a preparation for life. It's the essence of life itself. Mm. I think Kieran feels the same way, but entrepreneurship is the essence of life. It's the it's not a means to an end. It is the end. And he has had such a rich life living this way that I think he struggles when people ask him, so what's next and what do you do? Why don't you just, you know, take your rewards and enjoy them? He is enjoying them. He's yeah. enjoying it by doing it. Right. This is this is this is his golf, his fishing, his his everything. Absolutely. I'm better. <laughs> what can the rest of us, those who are are looking at this path and and inspired by what he's accomplished um, without doing it for for the big payoff, what can we take away? Well, the, the, you know, there are a couple of aspects of this idea of that, you know, the entrepreneurship as, as a good life, as a life well lived. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one is just this ability to act on our dreams. You know, that we start with ourselves. A lot of his ideas, they come from, I love his stories always about the book under his bed with the ideas he'll never get a chance to explore, right? He, he, a lot of this is, it's, it's at a creative outlet for his own unique talents. The second thing is, it's also part of a, a quest for meaning in life. And that sounds very grand, but if you plot Karen's story, there are elements of risk-taking, of action, but also of suffering and learning. And through that, he's sort of become the guy he is. And he has learned a great deal about his life and about, you know, what's the what's the point of this life and how he lives it through his entrepreneurial activities. Right. The other thing he does particularly well, I think, is Kieran uses, he's a natural storyteller, but he uses stories to build community around entrepreneurial ideas. I mean, it's an amazing how many people he is connected to and those connections go back decades. And they weave in and out his story and out of his story, he never forgets them. And he weaves them together in these stories of meaning about what it means to make a great Minnesota food product, what it means to represent a real Irish whiskey. And he kept saying, it's not about the liquid. Mm -hmm. It's not about the liquid. It's about the story he weaves around that. And that lets us know what he values and the sort of person he is. So it, it's, a, it's a wonderful example of how we, in other fields, people have called this, you know, careers of conviction, hmm. and which is another grandiose term of what this simple sort of example of Kieran shows to us of living a life well lived and using our profession and our activities to 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 understand ourselves better and to pull our communities together and it, he just does a fabulous job at it. I love that. Yeah, he really does and he really has a way of 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 pulling you in um as you can hear when when he speaks. Um speaking of of the liquid, we would be remiss since that is his latest uh project and business venture if we didn't hit on uh Redlocks. Uh this is kind of the the, the next frontier for Kieran. Um have you had a chance to try it? Well, <laughs> as someone who's proudly in uh, long-term addiction recovery, uh, I have not tried his product. Oh, good. Okay. But, but, but you can infer from that story uh, that I have uh, sampled such products in the past, uh, <laughs> even in the, in the company of Kieran on many an occasion. I bet. And, uh, you know, what I think of that, uh, his story is, again, it's interesting, where does he start? Mm-hmm. He actually didn't start with the whiskey. He started with the relationship. Right. I have this relationship that means a lot to me. How do I build on that to create something that matters? Well, thank you, John McVeigh, for the added perspective and, um, and telling us a little more about your friend, Kieran. 
Slanchiva. That's right. And thank you to our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about this show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. And if you like what you heard, take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps the show. Thanks so much for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.